Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Yeah.
prayers with everybody. Uh, it seems like this always happens on the weekend when people get that little freedom of the weekend that something crazy or erratic happens. And it's unfortunate that every time I open up the the kitchen, especially the brunch on a Sunday, it's news like this that starts to show up. But I got to try my best to bounce this back. So uh, I will give them a moment of silence and start to sting up the best way I can. Moment of silence to the people that were affected by the people that have been lost. Okay, uh, I do have my co-host with me. I have Mr. Harvey in the building. Mike, welcome to the brunch. How are you feeling this morning? Man, just doing the best we can, right? Trying not to get fed up with everything going on in the world, but we got a lot of uh, exciting things going on in the world of sports. So I'm uh, always happy, man, to be uh, alongside to chop it up with you uh, on a Sunday morning, man. It's one of the highlights of my week, man. So thanks again for having me. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm thankful for every minute that I get to see. Um, it is unfortunate that this is an era of people being happy to just shoot, you know, high-powered guns at other individuals. Um, I don't need, I don't even know which guns was used in each of these occurrences, but uh, just getting wind of the situation before the show, it's like I just got to show that kind of gratitude to the individuals because um, sometimes you wish the world would stop and recognize people and everything moves out of Tokyo or New York minute. Everything's moving so fast you can't. So I do want to recognize them. But I don't want to take away the momentum of the time that we have here, especially for the stuff that we get to discuss. A lot of things happening over this weekend, uh, a critical boxing match that I'd like to discuss with you. Um, And we get to close out with how the – Atlantic Ocean meets the Pacific Ocean here in the United States, if if you will. So um, first and foremost, we'll talk about the the match between uh, Devin Haney and I I butcher his name as best as I can, uh, George Cambosis. He had all of the belts from the fight that he won up against uh, Teofimo Lopez, and Devin Haney goes into this fight as the underdog, but clearly – when watching the fight, um, he actually was the aggressor. He brought the fight to Cambosis, and the wild part about it was Cambosis was the bigger fighter. Uh, he had to lose the weight to get into, you know, the fight. He did enough to get there and uh, got tattooed in this fight. Uh, Mike, your thoughts from what you may have heard or seen from this fight, and uh, we'll go back and forth on this. Listen, they call boxing the sweet science, man. The performance of Devin Haney put on last night should have come with a label and said could cause diabetes and should be Nobel Prize worthy man like he put it on him last night his uh <clears throat> he kept him out of reach of his punches and he was tattooing him low to try to kind of empty that gas tank but like every time Cambosis tried to respond Haney was gone man he was out of there he laid he, he laid his punches in all night he did whatever he wanted to <clears throat> control the bout he had one point where he slipped, and so luckily they didn't call it a knockdown because it, 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 he really didn't get tagged. He took a few shots, but not many. Uh, he controlled the fight last night. I mean, really, he controlled it from weigh-ins, man. Like, he, he was in his head. He made weight from the start and was was letting him know, like, I'm a true champion. I started, you know, man, I, uh, I made weight from the jump. He was already kind of in his head, and, I mean, I – I would say he kind of took control of everything, even from uh, 
even from the weigh-in, and like you said, he had to come back and he had two hours and he was able to make weight in about, I think, 70 minutes or whatever. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. He was too much for Haney. Um, Haney just uh, he put it on him last night. He did whatever he wanted to. He stayed out of range. Cambosis couldn't do much with him. And, uh, you know, the more superior technical fighter was able to win all these belts last night. And now this makes it pretty much more of an interesting situation because uh, the belts are all in Haney's hands. Um, yeah, I think Javante has one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're going to have to fight um, as much as they've been avoiding each other. Um, and <laughs> I want to say that this time and era of like 2022 to 2023 going into the next year, I'm, I'm pushing the envelope even though I don't like talking into the future. But um, this kind of reminds you of like 1988, 87, where like Hagler and Hearns had to fight or uh, – you know, Sugar Ray Leonard had to fight Hearns, like, one way or another, like, like these big names have to go at it for the gladiator uh, situation of the sport. And um, Tank and Haney are going to have to fight. I know uh, Lomachenko is going to pop up and get into this fight or, or fighting realm or circus or carousel, how this goes down. But now this gets interesting and in at least a couple of these weight classes. So this is what we kind of waited for to kind of see some of these guys. I don't want to see go at it just because of the spoiled brat fan in me. You want to see these guys keep their records, stay clean. But then again, you want to see these guys fight each other to say, well, they fought each other and this is what happened. And this is, it's almost like the caring parent in this situation. I don't want my children to fight, but they can fight everybody else. But, you know, cause you have favorites in boxing. Boxing isn't like a sport. It's an individual sport. So, uh, the guys that made names for themselves, you don't want to. If you've seen them from the beginning, you don't want to see them kind of run into a wall, lose, and uh, um, I don't want to say mess up their resume, but you know it's the chink in the armor, and that's the same way I kind of looked at uh, Triple G. Triple G was in a situation where he was undefeated. He fought Canelo that first fight. He, to me, I think he did what it was necessary to win the fight. The judges said it was a draw. They fought the second time. The judges went Canelo's way, and Triple G ends up getting his first loss, and it was like he was a forgotten fighter. Like It was like this guy brought so much to the, the fighting game, and, and he was a crowd pleaser. Like He fought to the crowd. Uh, he was a knockout artist, and, you know, he had a heavy, you know, Eastern European, Eastern Asian accent that people loved it because he showed so much gratitude to America. And then he loses, and you don't see him anymore. And it kind of took away from his situation of the sport. So now that Canelo trying to build himself back up into the sport, he's going to fight Canelo. I mean, he's going to fight Triple G in September. So this actually brings a lot of these big-name fights back into the sport. So we'll see which way Haney goes. I think there is a rematch clause uh, in this scenario. So if Cambosis does get the rematch, I don't know if Haney will accept it or not. I think it is set to be back out there in Australia, too, for the rematch. So he's going to make him fight him twice in that area. I, I hope Haney is able to pull strings to keep it in America so it doesn't have to seem like he has to, you know, abide by Cambosis' rules. So that makes that even more of an interesting situation. Uh, your, your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, so a couple things. In that division, <clears throat> so many good names. I mean, you mentioned uh, – you mentioned Tank. We got Tiafimo Lopez, who's 
trying to bounce back. We got Ryan Garcia. We got Bumachinko. Uh There's a lot of talent at that weight class that are going to, you know, Devin Haney with with one performance has now gone from being the hunter to the hunted, right? And so, uh, as a 23 year old uh, young star, we'll see how he handles that. That's a little bit of a different mantle to carry, if you will. But I mean, I agree with everything you said about the the Triple G Canelo thing. You know, you lose one fight and you almost become not as relevant until you have to fight pretty hard to try to get back. Uh, you know, into that uh, scope, if you will. But, yeah, I mean, the rematch is supposed to go out there. And the thing that I have a question about is, I mean, anytime you go out of your own country to fight, you kind of worry about the scorecards. You know, I look at, at last night's fight, and two judges had that fight, 116-112, which means they gave four rounds to – uh, Cambosis. Um, America watched that fight. Uh, you know, it was on ESPN. I'm sure you can catch the replay. Watch that fight, and, and I think that you would be hard pressed to tell me that he won four rounds. So it it does make you a little suspicious about going over there and trying to fight again. Uh, you know, he's going to have to put on as dominant of a performance, um, a repeat performance the second time out because, you know, anytime you go and fight somebody on on foreign soil, you know, you, you're subject to the judges if you don't knock them. And so that, that kind of makes me a little nervous going back out there. I'd hate to see him go out there and get robbed. And I'm just wondering, like, who dropped the ball on this that says that the rematch for sure needed to be in Australia? Because to me, I feel like if you lose that title, you shouldn't get to try to get it back in your home country. I feel like you need to be able to go to the champion to try to get that title back, right? So uh, I feel like that fight should happen in the United States. You know, we know he's from Oakland, <clears throat> but he's a, a Las Vegas resident now so he should have to go to Haney's home and let's let's do it at you know MGM or one of those uh, venues in Vegas but you know I mean if you, if you have to go all the way back out there you better be ready and just know that you're going to have to turn in the same type of performance in order to uh, in order to get out of there a lot or in order to get out of there with your, with your titles because you know like I said it's you just you never can tell when you put it in the judge's hands, especially in another country. And we see this happen time again. Uh, time again. Uh, we still remember the situation that happened with Manny Pacquiao, when Manny Pacquiao lost the belt over there uh, to an Australian boxer, and it was kind of like the crowd was the crowd was kind of appeased to see somebody bring Manny a fight. When a lot of people watch that fight, uh, they look at it like Manny won it. So. It's tough to go to Australia to take the champ out of his realm, but the good thing that Haney actually brought the fight to him uh, didn't wilter or make it look like he was running from him because if so, if there would have been any retreat, that would have probably triggered more rounds going toward Cambosis. And um, now it's a situation where Cambosis is not only going to have to fight to win, he's going to have to chase him now. 
And uh, the way that that fight went, it clearly was in favor of Haney, and, and Haney brought that fight to him. And um, he wouldn't let Cambosis get a rhythm. Um, he was doing more tactical attacking toward Cambosis instead of <clears throat> letting Cambosis kind of try to get his shots off. He was wary of every punch thrown at him and, and watching Cambosis Mitch and, and just tattooing him as much as he could with the openings that Cambosis gave him. I, I give Cambosis credit. He is fairly quick uh, on his attack, but he, he didn't hit or, you know, bother Haney as much as I would have thought, especially with him being the undisputed champ at that time, taking everything from Lopez. This is this is bad. This says a lot about everything that happened in a chain of events in this very weight class. So watch how everything goes. It went from everything being in the lap of Lomachenko. Lomachenko taking Tiafimo lightly. Tiafimo dominates him for seven rounds. That's all he needed to win the fight. Gets into the 11th and 12th round. Uh, Lomo's making it a fight, uh, trying to get his belt back, but it was too little too late. Judges in favor of Lopez. Lopez has everything. Lopez doesn't even get far with those belts. Fights Cambosis. Cambosis knocks him out, gets everything, and has all of the belts. He's the undisputed champion. He really doesn't have that big of a resume, but you got to respect him because he took out Tiafimo. And then he fights Devin Haney. He doesn't hang on to the belts long. And Haney has all of the belts. He's now an undisputed uh, and undefeated too champion uh at this point in time so it's it's not good to have everything because just like mike said you go from the hunter into the hunted and um all of the the league's best or the division's best excuse me are going to come after you and it's not easy it is not easy by any means and um hopefully haney selects the right fight you there was a name that you said with ryan garcia i don't care about him and i and and i'm saying that with all of the the nastiness that I can say it to, he's going to have to impress me. Uh, he has fought nobody. The first person that he fought with relevance was a guy that dropped him in the first round, and he did enough to outpoint him through the remainder of the fight, and none of us really know the guy like a household name in the boxing world, but he talks enough stuff like he's one of these guys. He just has a last name that's helping him carry that weight. So uh, I don't put Ryan Garcia in the discussion of the men in his division that are doing way more work or fought fighters with a bigger resume. He has a fight coming up soon, and um, I, I think he walks through the guy, unless the guy does bring a fight to him, and uh, we, we'll see. But I'm not impressed by his, his resume of who he's fought. But once he does get the goal to start fighting the big names in his division, then I'll respect to see where he goes with that. But right now, you, I'm from Missouri. Show me. Um Anything else that you'd like to say behind this mic before we get moving? Agree with you on Garcia. I don't really understand why his name is uh, it gets thrown out there a whole lot, and I guess that's why I put it out there because you know anything I read, his his name is thrown out there. But but I 100% agree with you. Like it sound good, but you're gonna have to show me. So uh, I I just think the future is uh, future is very bright at this weight class. So. And when you look even across the sport, like you said, uh, we got two guys in the last month that have been able to unify titles. I think Haney brought one into the to the fight. Now he was able to combine them. And I, I, I want to say I, f- I forgot the number, but it was like nine. Now I guess this would be ten now that have uh, that have done that in the history of the sport. Ten guys have have been able to unify all the titles and.
and Sports City, we have seen two of them, uh, two of these occasions happen uh, in the last month. So uh, at 154 with uh, with uh, one of the twins, uh, help me out here. My, my brain's drawing a blank this morning. Uh, Tarmelo. The Tarmelo. Uh, the Tarmelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got him, and now we got we got Haney. So we've had two people unify him in the last month. Listen, I I think uh, boxing is in a little bit better shape than it has been in a while, as far as uh, guys really starting to build their profile or whatever. So uh, definitely uh, stay tuned. I think the future is bright for uh, for the sweet science of boxing. And I look forward to see what's coming in the in the months to come. Okay, so we fairly got a very interesting show. Um, I just want to get into the baseball stuff as best as I can. Uh, the call number is nine two nine four seven seven two seven five nine. Please jump in if if you hear us or you want to get in here. Press one and uh, jump in into conversation whenever you need to. Um, in the baseball world. Uh, they are still hot in their division. I have to save them for last, uh, and that being the ALEs. I can't, and it bothers me because uh, my boys have to go to war with them this week here. So we're going to save the best for last, and it actually looks like I still have to give the edge to the American League. But, okay, so I'll start with the National League, uh, starting off with the National League Central the Milwaukee Brewers are sitting with 33 and 22 as their record, uh, leading the division. The St. Louis Cardinals are 31 and 23, a game and a half back. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 23 and 28. The Chicago Cubs are 23 and 31, and the Cincinnati Reds are at the bottom of the division with 18 and 34. In the NL West, the Los Angeles Dodgers are cruising 35 and 18. The San Diego Padres are still doing their thing, 32 and 21 without Tatis. Uh, the San Francisco Giants are 28 24, still above 500. The Arizona Diamondbacks are 26 and 28, nearing the 500 mark. And to round out the bottom of the division, the Colorado Rockies are 23 and 30. The NL East is the best, well, has the leader of the highest amount of wins being the New York Mets. The Mets are 36 and 19 in the month of June. Their consistency still is here. The Atlanta Braves are 27 27 at 500. The Philadelphia Phillies are 24 and 29. The Miami Marlins are 22 and 29 and to round out the bottom of their division, the Washington Nationals as they sit 20 and 35. Uh will go into the American League. And in the American League, the AL Central is being led by the Minnesota Twins. They are 31 and 24. Uh, being followed by the Cleveland Guardians, they are now 23 and 25. The Chicago White Sox are 24 and 27. The Detroit Tigers are 21 and 32. And to round out the bottom of the division, the Kansas City Royals are 17 and 34. The NL, West, excuse me, the American League West is being held up by the Houston Astros. They are 34 and 19, playing some good ball. The Angels are, the Los Angeles Angels are 27 and 27. The Texas Rangers are 25 and 27. The Seattle Mariners are 23 and 30, and the Oakland A's round out the bottom of the AL West at 20 and 35. The Yankees are still cruising. They are off to one of their best starts since the 90s when they won a World Series. The Yankees are 38 and 15. 
Aaron Judge is going absolutely crazy right now. Toronto Blue Jays are 31 and 21. The Tampa Bay Rays are 31 and 22. The Boston Red Sox are 26 and 27, close to 500. And the Baltimore Orioles are rounding the bottom of the division at 23 and 32. Um, the Yankees are playing great baseball, best baseball in the league. And it hurts me to say this, but I have to be analytical. The Blue Jays are in a fight in a, a series with my Minnesota Twins. They are actually crushing the ball. If you have not seen the Blue Jays play ball, they are playing some excellent ball at this point in time. Um, another team, like I said, the Houston Nationals are doing their thing in the AL West, uh, trying to stretch this lead out as best as they can. They're up seven and a half in front of the Angels. The one thing I want to see with the Angels is them to be consistent. Uh, the bad thing about the Angels is people are not aware of this situation. Pay attention if you haven't. They are on a 10-game losing streak. That's right. I repeat it. They have lost 10 in a row. Uh, for them to be 27 and 17, to fall to 500, speaks volumes. I wonder how much or how long they're really going to weigh this team on Trout and Otani. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the team and all, of, or, or excuse me, just all of what you've heard thus far in a major league. A couple of things. Uh, Angels missing Anthony Rendon doesn't help, and I think they're the depth of their pitching staff is starting to tell off on them a little bit. You know, we are at the one-third pole right now. We're right at about a third of the way through the season. Uh, a lot of these teams have 54 games down out of 162. Uh, the Rangers are sneaking back in there, man. The Rangers are only a game behind uh, the Angels right now uh, in that division. Uh, you hit on it, the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, they were everybody's pick to win that division going into the season, and they're finally starting to catch fire and play some good ball. I think they split the first two uh, with Minnesota, but I want to say the Blue Jays have won something crazy, like 10 out of their last 11 or something. Uh, Philly, they've kind of caught fire. Uh, you know, Philly has, uh, has, you know, is the first team to, to make a change and dismiss their manager this past week as they've been struggling a little bit. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> baseball is a strange sport uh, in that, you know, we were just talking about this last week, and I said, look, the Dodgers are half game behind the Yankees. They're right there, you know what I mean, to overtake them for the best record in baseball. And then, lo and behold, uh, <laughs> they lose. They get swept at home by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now they bounce back and won the first. They won the first two games uh, from the Mets, and Mets were able to uh, get one last night, so we'll see. Uh, with the fourth game of that series today, if the Dodgers can win three out of four or if the Mets can gain a split in that series. And then uh, the Atlanta Braves, with their win last night, uh, have now become – well, actually it was with their win on Friday uh, with the second game of that Rocky series because they, they are the last team now in Major League Baseball to have a three-game winning streak this season. Every team in baseball now, with the Braves doing that this week, have now had at least one three-game win streak all season. So that would have been uh, the last team that you would have – or one of the last teams that you would have expected to be the, the – I guess the last one to punch their ticket to say, yeah, we've got a three-game winning streak also. Uh, but it, it took – until the first part of June uh, for the Braves to join that group. And all 31 teams in baseball had uh, 
have at least been able to reel off one three-game win streak this year. So um, I find that kind of interesting. And you're right, Houston's playing good ball. There are times that that offense has struggled a little bit, but the depth of their pitching rotation uh, behind Berlander, who has he's only had one bad start this year, but you got Berlander and Garcia and Framber Valdez, and now you've uh, Jose Urquidy, and now you've uh, Christian Javier has been stretched out to a starter. So uh, the depth of that rotation has really started to uh, to show up for Houston. That pitching has kind of carried them. If those bats really get going for Houston, uh, lights out for everybody in that division. It looked like the Angels were going to be in there, uh, but they've kind of hit these skids. So uh, it looks like it's going to be Houston's division uh, to win over there. Uh, the Twins, man, Twins playing good ball. They just kind of hit this one uh, stretch. You know, you got Joe Ryan who's been on the COVID list. A few things, uh, a few people kind of banged up. Um, and But they have been able to feast on the – on the softer part of their schedule, now they got the they got the Blue Jays now and the Yankees coming up this week. So, you know, we'll see uh, how well they survive that. But still in good shape in that in that division. The Red Sox, I mean, the White Sox have still not been able to to put everything together and really make a run. So, uh, matter of fact, as you said, Cleveland's uh, sitting in between them right now. And Cleveland can pitch. We just don't know if they can if they can hit enough. I, I still say no. Um, at the end of the day, I think the only team that could threaten the Twins in that division are the White Sox. But uh, the Twins, if they, if they the White Sox are White Sox aren't careful, the Twins will mess around and run and hide with that division. And then uh, the Central, like I said, that's the only one I really haven't mentioned yet. The NL Central. Uh, same thing I've been saying all year, man. We know it'll be a two-team race. Those two teams are within a game and a half of each other. So it'll be interesting to see as this uh, season continues to unfold. Yeah, we will definitely see how it pans out in both of the central divisions. Uh, speaking of the division that I follow, being a twin fan, um, the Guardians have missed a fair amount of games, uh, mostly probably due to the atmosphere of the world today so it shows four and a half but the twins have played seven more games than them so they have a lot of playing to do to get back into this thing uh the white Sox, they're dealing with injury just like the twins are the twins have people that we're fortunate to have on the 10 day or just the injured list uh we had some people get uh removed for the season due to tommy john surgery so uh, the, the Twins finally having a stable of pitchers in their starting rotation was what they needed, and now they all got hurt. So <clears throat> the Twins are going to have to rely on their offense like they've always had to try to do, and uh, hopefully it gets them through. And it's an unfortunate situation while we had all of the pitchers to try to go to war with the Yankees. We have the war, we have the war coming up, and the pitchers are out again. So it's like, how do we win this series if we can? If they could pull this off with without the pitchers that we had at the start of the season, it'll be incredible. I will be shocked. As much as I want to see us win this, I don't think that we could do this because of the pitchers that are missed. Um, especially the way that Bundy looked yesterday in Toronto, he got crushed uh, by the Blue Jays. And knowing the Blue, the Blue Jays hit the ball, the Yankees are going to hit the ball just as well. So. Uh, the one good thing that it is is the Twins do come back home, but they they play better on the but they play better on at home than they are on the road. But <clears throat> the Twins have actually been taking a lot of these series, uh, whether people like it or not, in their own building. So 
Uh, it makes it tough. They they actually made this this bad, if you will. Um, Buxton finally got back on the board. He was in a slump as well, too, uh, while he was in the MVP talk. Uh, I think stuff is clearly falling into the lap of Aaron Judge right now. Uh, I think he's got 21 home runs on the season. He's completely crushing the ball. He's found his rhythm. Um, <laughs> if you guys can pitch to him, good luck. Throw some high strikes. That's the best thing. Once you throw it in his wheelhouse, he's taking these guys out of the park. Uh, to say the least bit. Okay, so um, the the meat and potatoes is here. Unless you want to discuss more Major League Baseball, um, but I, I think that we we got a good amount of time to like get to the drama that's in the West Coast right now, aka the NBA Finals, and um, how Game One went, and how we see Game Two going as of the end of this day. Uh, game one, I am impressed with City. Um, I'm not going to lie. I really thought that Golden State would take care of business at game one. Uh, they were home. They were rested. They got to watch Boston at least game seven, uh, with Boston taking game seven away from the Miami Heat in Miami. So they kind of knew what they were up against. Steph Curry had one of the more blatant, awesome starts to a a series, uh, having 20-some-odd points in the first quarter, and then Boston figured things out, slowed him down in the second quarter. You have to survive that halftime speech. I don't know what Steve Kerr tells him. I don't know if he slaps everybody in the face and then just walks out, and they come out angry and they play like hornets. I don't know what he does, but every time you play the Warriors, if you have a lead, do not go in there cocky. Don't even clap your hands. Act like you're losing. Act like you're losing by 35. You got us. That's the only way. Like, because they'll be ready for you. Come out and hit a barrage of threes, and then it's like, how do you get back into this game? And that's exactly what happened. I did not know how Boston could get back into that game. At one point, they were down 15. They go into the fourth, down 12. And then the story of all stories of this season comes about not only slow down the Warriors, Interesting how we had a real bad technical situation on. Um, bear nine four seven seven two seven five nine. Um, I, I don't even know where the connection was lost. I was going into a spiel about um, the the Celtics and the Warriors. I'm. Just, truly destroyed because I don't know where I was in the discussion or where, where I was caught, knocked off. Um, I do have Mike back in the building. Mike, I'm sorry that this happened. This is this is something on uh, Blog Talks in. Um, the hub right. must have crashed. I had like a good five minutes trying to get back into this thing. Um, I, I heard you talking about when they came back out in the second half. I mean, you talked about the fourth quarter. I got that. And then we started okay, cutting out. So you talked about the fourth quarter. Okay, so the four, I'll, I'll go back to the fourth quarter and just do this the best that I can because I think we both were kicked out at the same time because it was showing me all types of stuff on the switchboard. Um, for them to – okay, so for them to hold them to 16 points to start off, uh, they came out scored 40. They had eight straight threes, uh, and they, st- they clearly stayed to 
the shoot, <clears throat> the shooters being Curry and Clay. For Clay to have start started the game uh, hitting shots and and making that team aware that he's back, um, they did a good job by locating Jordan Poole, locating uh, Clay Thompson, and not letting these guys go crazy while Steph went crazy. And the one thing about the Warriors that is a concern right now is the status of Draymond Green on the floor. He's not hurt. I'm not saying that like he's injured. Um, he is one of their defensive anchors. He's the captain, I would more or less say, or at least the the engine that runs that car. And um, he's looking like a detriment on the floor. Uh, he's continually decreased in scoring presence in games in the past couple of seasons. Um, for him to go out there and give you less than, and I want to be fair with the number, right? Let's just say less than 14 or 18 points, right? It's like the other team is scoring in other dynamics with other players. Draymond has to give them more than eight points. I mean, yes, we, we know that Golden State could go out there and score the ball at an alarming clip. We we know that they have shooters that can get this game smoking and, and get this out of uh, harm's way. But if if they aren't, Draymond is another piece, if not the Hall of Famer on that team that has to step up and has to be more than rebounds and, and assists, getting easy assists, just passing Steph or Clay the ball on the wing and they knock down threes. He's going to have to do something because the bigs that he's guarding, uh, if it's Robert Williams, he's undersized. If he's guarding Horford, he's undersized. But Horford is stretching him out to the perimeter and knocking down threes over 50% from three. So he's going to either have to get closer to these guys and play their body and contest the shots as best as he can, or they're going to have to move Draymond off of the floor. Uh, I'm saying that as an uh, outsider looking in. I know Steve Kerr will probably find an X and an O to put together to make this work for them, but uh, Draymond is looking like the the food that Boston needs out there to try to be successful. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on game two, how this thing went down? I think the one stat that blew me away for that fourth quarter was that Boston made more threes than Golden State made field goals in the fourth quarter. Boston hits nine total threes in that quarter, and Golden State had a total of seven field goals altogether. So I don't know if Boston has really, really found something or Golden State just had a bad quarter. You know, we we saw Golden State um, have a couple bad quarters in that Memphis series where they dropped a couple games, um, but they were able to kind of piece it back together. Uh, but like you said, I mean, the way Curry came out in the first quarter, it looked like he was, you know, he might drop 50, right? Uh, but then he, uh, they were able to corral them a little bit, you know, as, as we moved along in that game. So, uh, but you're right. Draymond uh, did not look like the uh, defensive spark that he has been. Um in that second half of this game. So he almost looked like a liability on the floor. And, you know, he is the the engine that makes him go on the defensive end. So hopefully they took that that engine to the mechanic. They put that car on the machine, (laughs) figured out maybe what's going on to see uh, what kind of adjustments they can make, you know. Uh, We talked about this uh, before when it comes down to uh, playoff series in the NBA, they say the uh, series doesn't start till the road team wins the game. Well, game on. The series started in game one this time. So uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. I really did not expect this kind of uh, 
performance from the Boston Celtics, especially when Golden State had a few extra days to kind of uh, to sit at the house and kind of chill up, chill out with their feet up and uh, and wait uh, for Boston to close out, you know, handle their business that they needed to down at South Beach, and then make the make the trip across country, you know, to the West Coast. Uh, Golden State looked like the more rested, fresh team in the first quarter, uh, but they did not look that way, uh, you know, as as the rest of that game uh, transpired. So, uh, listen, we got a series for real now. And we knew that we, we talked about it last week. We said that we thought that Boston was the team that if they could somehow find a way to get out of the East, that they were the team that could compete and provide the mo- uh, most competition. Uh, for this Golden State squad, and, and hey, we saw it in Game One, so that's what we got moving forward. I um, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna tell the truth. I said this in late April, early May that I felt like Boston would get out of the East, and they did that. And then once we got closer to the series, I said Boston is the team that I think that would make it a better series to go up against Golden State. And then once it did set up that Miami lost that game, I'm like, Boston has to go into Golden State and get a game. They got the game, right? So now all they have to do is just win out at home and win an NBA championship, which would be easy, but Boston has not played their best ball at home. They've actually been playing better on the road, right? Now I think it's about time for me to kind of like transition from game one into game two. Um the you would think that the Warriors, after a loss, would come out guns a blazing. Vegas would read this and be like, "Hmm, this could be like a five, seven, or nine point spread, right?" This is actually at four. This is closer than I anticipate, and this is clearly letting me know that Vegas is not, you know, strung up on just saying Golden State's gonna go in there and annihilate Boston. I think they're looking at it like Boston can still go into this building and win this game and put the pressure of the world on Golden State down 0-2. I'm not saying that it's going to go down like that, but just looking at all the scenarios that can happen, everybody in this world is probably going to run with Golden State. If Boston pulls this off, this will be the shocker, like all shocking things that we've seen. And this is sports. They never, you know, test the heart of a champion, so on and so forth. And knowing that the Warriors have had that championship aspiration, they've won championships, their dynasty in the latter part of the 2010 decade, um, they are looking tired with all of the rest that they had uh, at one point in the game early. They were the ones that looked exhausted going up against Boston. So Boston is doing what they can to kind of like take the legs out from underneath the uh, Warriors and make them earn everything. I get it. Steph is one of uh, no, let me say it the right way. Steph is the best shooter we've ever seen. Steph went electric in that first half, tried to get it right back by the third quarter, and ended up with 30-some-odd points, and it wasn't enough. They lost by double digits while having a double-digit lead in a two-quarter span, watching that type of situation happen. Uh, And one clip is probably somewhere, I think it was like 26 points of a differential. So that happened. Um, I know Steve Kerr is going to give them the best X and O situation, like I said before. They're going to be ready. They're, they got to use that crowd to their advantage. But then again, Boston has been through going to Brooklyn and shutting them down, going to Milwaukee and getting 
two games in Milwaukee and then playing a Miami Heat team that had nothing to lose, but they were the best team in the Eastern Conference and getting, I think, three games on the road, if I'm not mistaken. It's something they like that. Four. You're right. You're right. So, so they, they, went, they went into people's houses and, like I said, knocked over dishes, uh, opened up pizza boxes, ate all the pizza, left the boxes, soda cans everywhere on a damn uh, coffee table, things of that nature, and they're fine with that. And, and me, and I, I know it's different because I'm from a different era, I would want to use my home court to my advantage. They're willing to let those games go by. They're not filling up home, and they're like, okay, well, we're content. We're going into your house and not only beating you, we're beating you by double digits. They broke a, I think, a franchise or NBA record. It might, it's one or the other. They had 10 games this year that they won on the road, right, of over 20 points, not not just not just going in there beating you. They are beating the living crap out of people in their houses. So Golden State has to be aware of this. There's no way that Steve Kerr is, is just uh, playing this game or coaching this game, excuse me, uh, thinking this is how it's going to go down. He's going to literally have to, like, pinpoint on how to beat the Boston Celtics in, in his house. And, and this makes it that much more interesting that – Udoka has had this team ready all season long to do this, especially the way they start and the way that they're finishing. Uh, Mike, anything that you'd like to add to that? With all due respect to Hawk, an animal, and Precious Paul Ellering, and the Legion of Doom, uh, listen, that was yesterday's Road Warriors. These are the modern-day Road Warriors, these Boston Celtics, man. Listen, um, they're getting it done, like you said. I mean, you look at the Miami series, they dropped two out of three on their home floor. Uh, but then, they, you know, that works if you can win three out of four <laughs> on the other team's court. And that's what they were able to pull off. So, uh, listen, it, it's almost with Boston, uh, all all the conventional wisdom that, <laughs> that what you expect uh, come playoff time. You can almost throw it out the window with this team, man. But uh, I think part of the reason why this team is young, they're hungry, they – they play good defense. Uh, you got, hey, with the with the exception of uh, Tatum, he just kind of plays kind of what defense he has to. But Jalen Brown, D's up. Marcus Smart, these guys play. Uh, these guys play good defense, and you know defense will travel, right? Like in any sport, uh, <laughs> we talk about it in football all the time too. But defense is the one thing that will travel wherever you want to go if you if you play it and you have uh, a lot of effort on that end of the court. You can. Uh, you can make life hard for home teams, and Boston has has done that. Okay, so instead of me putting so much pressure on Golden State, let's put the pressure on Boston. How can Boston still gain two is the question. Not, oh, Golden State's going to go in there and throw up this offensive barrage and know that they have to win. The Celtics are the dynamic that made that spread low, and um, – I, I think that they do have the guns to actually fight Golden State to make this an interesting game. I know it, it, it's favorable for Golden State to win, but what can the Celtics do to win to make this one of the more shocking situations we've seen in sports? Listen, if if Boston wins this series, like you said, they pretty much put a stranglehold on this thing, right? Like to go up 2-0, and then you got three out of the next five at home, and you just have to find a way to win two more games. Um, I almost think that what you have to do is let Steph Curry be Steph Curry, and you got to neutralize and minimize everybody else. Uh, and if they can do that, 
Um, if you can keep Clay from going off, if you can contain Jordan Poole, if you can continue to make Draymond Green look uh, old on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and then, listen, offensively, Boston has to take care of the basketball. They got to make, they got to, uh, Tatum has to show up to play. He can't have one of his uh, 10-point, you know, seven turnover games where he's got twice as many turnovers as made field goals. So Tatum has to show up and really play on the offensive end. Um, Brown has to execute on the offensive end of the court. They got to move the ball, and they have to they have to continue to move without the ball and move the ball and take care of the basketball. If they do that and play good defense, man, that that's the recipe. Uh, that's the recipe for them to win this game. I just wonder if Tatum is able to put it together with the team, and then they play together. I don't want him to put it together and the team not be there with him. That's that's, that's the scary part. Um, he's done enough to get them to this point. He better give them as much money as he possibly can because they saved his tail. He looked horrible in game one. And this is the one thing that bothers me about Jason Tatum. He's an electric player, but he gets lost settling for shots that he he can take. Now, I don't want to say he shouldn't. He can take, but he can take a better percentage shot. He can drive the ball and make it that much more interesting. And the good thing about his game is that he was getting assists out because it wasn't working for him in other areas. So I have to give him credit for that. But uh, if he was just to add another three-shot make, like like if he if he'd have made another three shots, this would have been an, a blowout. Like this would have been like what what was Golden State doing? Like why are they getting beaten so bad at home? But unfortunately, Styles make fights. Uh, defense wins champions, so on and so forth. And um, look looking at the way that Boston was ready for it, uh, I think they survived the barrage. And once they connected to Clay and Steph as best as they could. It made it more difficult for Poole, Clay, and Steph to get the shots off that they like. Um, of course, it's going to be like that. Boston has to repeat this every game. They have to play like this every game. Of course, Steph and Clay and, and Poole are going to hit some some crazy shots. But I would live with the Celtics playing this type of defense to try to win the game. Um, if they can do this continually and force a lower percentage situation for the Warriors together, this could get ugly. I don't think they could sweep them. But the potential of them getting two games out of California is in the discussion. Um, it is not safe for me to just go Golden State uh, 1-1 back to Massachusetts. But if they are to go back 0-2, all Boston has to do is get that one win at home. That's all they have to do because they haven't played consistent enough, at least in the past two series against Milwaukee and Miami, to let me know that they're ready to win at home. I'm, I'm not confident at this point in time. Uh, that just clearly give Boston that edge. If Boston is able to pull this out, they still have to fight tooth and nail and not just take a deep breath and be like, oh, we're home and we're just going to play off the crowd. No, you guys are going to have to earn this. This is probably one of the best offenses we've ever seen in NBA Finals history. Like, just just the, the Warriors, not just the 2022 Warriors, but just knowing what Clay Steph and now Jordan Poole and the other guys that they have that can actually score the ball at an alarming clip makes it that much more interesting. Uh, for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, anything that you'd like to add to that as well, Mike? No, like, you know, I, I think that this would be, you know, obviously a huge get if Boston could somehow find a way to get this game. But but I do think the pressure is squarely on the shoulders of Steve Kerr and Steph Curry and 
Clay Thompson, and even some of the role players for Golden State. You know, can Looney score? Can Andrew Wiggins hit a few shots? You know, he's kind of a three and D guy. Can he knock a few shots down? Uh, I think the pressure is squarely on the shoulders of Golden State on their home floor uh, to square this series before they have to travel, you know, all the way across country and and go back to the Atlantic side of the uh, of the United States. So we are nearing the end of the show. Mike, how do you feel game two goes down? So I am going to predict uh with my with my <laughs> with my head and, and a little bit, but also kind of my heart and my wallet because uh listen, the the Boston fans got in there woofing after game seven of uh Miami in the barbershop. And so uh I got a little bit riding on Golden State right now. Uh, I, I made that bed, so I'm gonna have to sleep in it one way or the other. But uh, I'm gonna say somehow, some way, Golden State does find a way uh, to square this series. Listen, this team has has been to the mountaintop a few times, like we've talked about. Kind of had a dynasty in this last decade, so uh, now can they can they get one in this decade? And you know, I I think the heart of a champion. I think they rise up. I think they somehow find a way. Uh, to pull it out and square this series today. So uh, I'm going to be towards uh, Golden State, and if I'm wrong, I'll own it on the on the cookout Wednesday night. Okay, so I'm going to do it like this, Sports City. I know how karma like to get me. I know how karma like to slap me in the face. So I'm going to do it the best way to fight karma back. I'm going to leave her alone. The Warriors should win game two, but I would not be – impressed or thrilled or let me let me say it the right way i would not be stunned if the celtics go in there and get game two how about that so i'm going to make you make this a game karma don't put this on me and slap me all in my face the warriors should win game two but if the celtics steal game two i will not be stunned because the way that they played milwaukee the way that they played miami to get to this point in time to play a team like golden state they should be able to do it. I'd include, I didn't include Brooklyn for a reason. Brooklyn is just Kyrie and KD. That's it. I don't, I don't look at them as a juggernaut. I look, like, I look at that like that's an uh, a organization that's on the, the downfall, if you will, and I don't know if they'll get a championship, let alone I feel like Kevin Durant's championship window is completely closed. So that's why I didn't say Brooklyn. But the Miami and Milwaukee series that they went through, has them ready to play a Golden State Warriors. I don't know if I could just continually call them the better team, but they did what was necessary to make this a series. Okay, Mike, we are at the tail end of the show. I need a plug, close out, shout out, anything that you like to promote as we shut it down here at the brunch. Man, you know, as we always do about this time, quick shout out to uh, UTP. Without you, I wouldn't be here very much. Love and respect to you, my brother from another mother. Indeed, much respect and love to the other chefs as well. We got, uh, Villain and Sirius and uh, Dave and Nate and, of course, Controversy and uh, Eric around the fringe are sometimes popping up, especially during football season. So uh, listen to Sports City Chefs family. Uh, enjoy bringing the content to you. Check out our uh, baseball show on Tuesday nights. Check out our cookout on uh, on Wednesdays and, of course, the mothership, the, the time of Sunday morning brunch. Always serving it up for you uh, to start your day on Sunday. Also, check out the barbershop on Clubhouse, man. Big-time family community there. 
come sit with us for a while. Come check out. Come during the game tonight and uh, listen to uh, some of the, the talk there. You'll hear some Warriors fans. You'll have Celtics fans pop up. Uh, lots of fun trash talk and banter during the game. So come by and check it out with us, even if you don't come in during the game, uh, even just during the week or something, even if you're in your car going from one spot to another. Just pop in. Uh, listen to more entertaining than anything you can find on Sports Talk Radio. And we bring breaking news to you as quickly as it happens. And a lot of times you would uh, hear it in the barbershop before it comes across your notifications on your phone, man. So uh, 11,000 strong, building a family community there and continuing to grow and be part of that. Thanks to Timeless and Groove and Quick and the rest of the mods uh, as part of that barbershop community on Clubhouse. So come check us out over there. Uh, much, much respect to Blog Talk Radio and everything for sponsoring us and PHIapparel.co. Check them out for uh any of your Philly sports fan clothing needs, man. Uh, that being said, man, as always, uh, living in the Midwest, but always representing the South. And as you say in Louisiana, man, let those good times roll, man. He said enough. SportsCityChefs.com. Check out the website, the interviews, the blogs. The chefs will be back throughout the week. I'll be back through here Wednesday with the Call this cookout going crazy. Hopefully this series doesn't get out of hand. Boston, on which I live in New England, Golden State, this is going to get interesting. I know Steph and Clay, they, they're probably in the gym right now at 9 in the morning in the Chase building. I was going to say the Oracle, so it shows you that I'm still stuck with them in, in Oakland compared to where they are in San Francisco. But on that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman verse, MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend, it's the Sports City Chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.